What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and we have an exciting month. It's Locums Month, talking all about locums, tenons, and all the good stuff. It's the pros and cons, the planning, the tax, and a special surprise at the end of the month. We're going to hear from a few docs, and I think it'll be really good. But before we jump in, locumstory.com has given us story time. And today I'll be reading One Job, Two Job. One Job, Two Job, Red Blob, No Job, Elective Doc, Emergency Doc, Summon Overstock, Summon Out of Stock. This doc is too abused. This doc is underused. This doc can't get sick. Say, let's try a brand new trick. For all the docs about to cry, here's an idea you can try. Look into Locum Tenon's assignment, a really great option. You might find it. Don't forget Locum Tenon's pays much better and you can find assignments in any type of weather. Whether all this new info trapped in your thinker, go to financialresidency.com slash locum story and use your mouse to tinker. It's here you'll find the unbiased answers you are after so you can decide if Locum Tenon's is your next chapter. So while I'm reading this, John, who is our guest of the day is laughing at me because that is actually quite hard to read, but I'm excited to bring John McCarthy. But before we get in with John, so he can laugh at me a little bit more, it is important to know that this is not specific financial planning, tax, insurance, or any other type of advice that you could think this uh, could be because this is entertainment purposes only. We're probably going to have some cheesy dad jokes tossed in here somehow. And uh, who knows what happens when you get a planner and a CPA on the same call. So with that said, let's jump in and hang out with John McCarthy. Hello, my friend. How's it going, sir? It's going well. Everything's I, good. I didn't know I'd have to practice my Dr. Seuss style of talking for today's uh, call. So the entire podcast is actually going to be in this. So I hope you're ready. I've got no idea to practice with four kids and you know, that's true, but I mean, I got two, but I still couldn't, I can't even read the paragraph that was written in front of me, much less think in that style. So we will not be doing that, but we are going to be talking all about tax, specifically with locum tenens. If you're earning extra 1099 income, I think it's really, really important. We see a ton of people screw this stuff up. Like I mentioned before in the intro, John is a partner of Casey and myself over at Physician Tax Advisors. If you're interested in potentially working with a CPA that actually understands physician issues and problems. You, know, you can reach out to John and the team there. But John, we're going to we're going to kind of give them some info. We're going to help them guide down the path even if they don't want to call and talk to you or Kim. So, where would you like to start in terms of people that maybe are earning or potentially earning some 1099 income and this might be the first year they've done it. They might be thinking about it next year, but what are some like tax tax tips, right? They're not advice, but tax tips. Let's start with some of the basics. There's two big differences between W-2 income and 1099 income. So let's talk about the two big categories and then we're going to spend probably a little bit of time here on the first one and then we'll get to the second one towards the end, which is important as well. So don't uh, stop listening before the end. Make sure we hit all the important points. So two of the main areas that are different when you're receiving 1099 income, uh, because one is there's no withholding tax on this income. So that's something that we're going to save towards the end, talk a little bit about how we deal with that. But one of the other areas that's different and is a tax planning opportunity is that you know, we could potentially take some expenses against your income so that when we net that all down on your return, you're not getting taxed on the full amount of income that you receive. That's one of the, the key differences between 1099 and W-2. So let's talk a little bit about some of the expenses that we might be able to deduct. 
And before we get into some of the specifics, one thing I always like to kind of hammer home to whenever I'm talking to relatively new business owners is that we really need to get in the habit of keeping receipt for any expenses that we're taking on the return. So if you're coming from a W-2 job, you might be used to just keeping a copy of the W-2, some 1099s, keeping that with your tax form for the year. Nine times out of 10, that's good. Good enough, you know, if the IRS ever comes asking for anything. But we kind of enter a whole new world as we start to deduct business expenses with return. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, you know, if we increase our audit risk just a little bit uh, and the IRS does come and want to take a look at risk that, you know, at, at your return, they are going to be looking for a couple things for business expenses. One is they're going to be looking for proof of payment. And that one's normally pretty easy for clients. You know, we can normally come up with a bank statement or a credit card statement and show, you know, that money was spent for a particular expense. But the next one is where, you know, a lot of our clients can get caught up if they don't have receipts. And we've got to show the IRS that there was a business purpose for this expense. And that's one where if you've just got a credit card statement with it on there, you know, the IRS is going to say, well, how do I know that's not a personal expense, that it's a business expense? And without that, we're going to have a hard time showing that. So we've been working with clients that, you know, before they started working with us, uh, didn't realize that they need to keep receipts and run into big trouble on IRS audit for that. So I always like to kind of drive that home. Yeah, it's a good point. So if someone is going to spend money and they're going to keep their receipts, is there a spent certain length of time they should be keeping those? Is there a certain way? Is digital okay? Does the IRS come into the 21st century with that? Like, how do we, how do we talk about retention? 21st century and IRS really don't belong in the same sentence. They're still running on a 1970s era computer. I think runs up Fortran or something crazy, which for old people like me, we know who that, what that is. But I was joking around that State Farm is still a hundred percent on DOS. So making waves in the tech space. <laughs> yep. All kidding aside, they do accept digital copies. So you don't have to keep the paper copies of receipts in a big file folder somewhere. You know, actually the best scenario for that you know, for a lot of clients, you got your phone. Hey, just snap a picture of it, you know, get it into a Google Drive, something like that. You know, as long as we could find those and retrieve them, you know, digital copies are fine for that stuff. But yeah, you know, I really encourage people to, to be keeping track of this stuff on a monthly or at least a quarterly basis because once you get beyond that, at least when you get older like me, I forget why I spent it. So if I wait too long, you know, my records start to get a, a little faulty. I wait like a day and I'm like, what did I do yesterday? Oh yeah. Still on board. So retention, good digital, you know, and obviously it's pretty easy and cheap to keep digital copies of everything. So they get in a Google drive, some cloud backup should be good. So let's talk a, a little bit about types of expenses. So, you know, if you haven't been working locums, you know, prior to this, you may be kind of questioning, okay, well, what exactly can I deduct on return? It's going to help me out there, John. So first of all, you know, think about anything related to your work and your profession and any of that stuff might be potentially eligible for deduction. So things like continuing education, training scrubs, things like that, you know, definitely grow, you know, potential eligible deduction. Then there's a couple other ones uh, that maybe aren't as, you know, easily identifiable, or you may not know what to do with them on the return, but they can be a really good source of deduction for you. And these are the, the two big ones here be uh, potential home office deductions, as well as taking mileage or taking uh, vehicle expenses potentially for you. So let's talk a little bit about home office. If you do have a dedicated portion of your home where you are performing some duties related to your locums work, then, you know, like charting or, you know, things like that, perhaps that you're doing after hours, as long as you have a dedicated place like that in your home, we can take a pro rata portion of your home expenses, you know, against your income on the return. 
are basically going to look at a square footage apportionment. And we're going to take the portion of the room or the whole room itself, depending on how big your home office is, and take that as a, a percentage of the, the overall square footage of your home. And then we can, you know, take a portion of rent if you're renting or take a portion of mortgage interest, and real estate taxes, utilities, homeowners insurance, renters insurance, all those type of things, you know, basically take a portion of those against the income on your return. So that could be really beneficial for a lot of clients. In addition to the, the home office, you know, if we have that home office there, one of the things that opens up potentially for us is to take a mileage deduction, standard mileage deduction or actual vehicle expenses, depending on your situation. So once we have a, a home office location, then we can consider the mileage between the home office and your work location as a potential deduction as well. So we could take the standard mileage rate or we can use actual expenses depending on which might be more beneficial, which is kind of a little bit more of an in-depth question. So we may not dig into that too much today, but you know, if you're working locally, but you have that home office, you know, this enables up you potentially deduct some of that mileage. Also, if you're driving outside of your metro area, even if you don't have a home office, but let's say you're driving 50 or hundred miles to get to your workplace for that particular period of time, you, we can still consider mileage in that case as well. So one of the important things to keep in mind, once again, we're going to talk about a lot about audit documentation here on this call, because it really is important. So I really like to, to kind of drive that home, but don't FOMO everyone until the end of the show. <laughs> hey everyone, we're going to talk about audit documentation. Ah, I love it. Hey, this is the important stuff though that everyone needs to hear in order to, to protect yourself from audit risk. You know, just making sure you're doing things right the first time. And if you're doing things wrong, that's okay. There's still time to fix it. All right. I joke with you, but this is good. Keep going. Yeah. This is an important one. There are some areas in the IRS code in, in the deduction area where we're allowed to do some estimates and we could come up with documentation after the fact, if we have an audit. Now we never really want to do that, right? We'd rather have impeccable documentation before we ever get audited. But mileage is one of the areas where there just is no wiggle room here. If the IRS audits your return and you have a mileage deduction on there, they will 100% of the time take that deduction off the return if you don't have good mileage documentation, mileage log, you know, something to that effect. They are looking for starting mileage, business mileage, personal mileage, and the ending mileage for the year. And if you don't have that in pretty good detail, there's a good chance that they're going to take that deduction off the return. So. Yeah. How do we deal with that? Well, you know, 20 years ago, we would have a little log book in the car, write down the starting at mileage and, you know, what the trail was going to be. And you could do that. All right. Please don't do the cheap solution. But there are certainly a lot of tools out there that can help you out with this. So one of those is a uh, mile IQ. I think it's a Microsoft product. I think they charge $50 a year for the license. And it basically tracks you via your phone anytime you're going more than about 15 miles an hour. So unless you're like a world-class uh, sprinter, you know, it's got soup that you're in your car. If you're going over 15 miles an hour, uh, it'll allow you to swamp left or right, depending on if it's personal or business mileage. So that's a good way to keep track of things. That is a pretty cool software. It tracks that swipe left or right for business or personal. Yeah, it makes it pretty easy. And then you'll get a very detailed report at the end of the year, depending on how much you, you drive. You might get this like 25 page report that shows excruciating detail on every drive that you took throughout the year. But it goes a long way at helping support those mileage deductions if you're you know, we talk a little bit about mileage here and I kind of briefly mentioned, you know, either taking the standard mileage rate or actual expenses method. And I think listeners to the podcast are probably seeing a lot of articles. Hey, can I go buy a, a brain spanking new car and deduct hundred percent of it uh, all in one year? Right. 
It's not popular. Don't do it. my dreams. <laughs> don't do it, John. I'm going to, at the very end of the year, expense 100% of my Tesla I'm buying. There you go. There you go. Just kidding. I'm not buying a Tesla. <laughs> but it's a popular item out there. And under some circumstances, you know, it can be a valid deduction. So I don't want to you know, dissuade people from that. But once again, this is one that kind of ticks up your audit rate a little bit. So we got to make sure we have really good documentation. If we're going to do that, please speak to your tax advisor. If you're planning on doing a deduction like that, because there are some rules we've got to follow at one of these, you know, the big one here is the keeping the mileage record if we're going to deduct everything. So once again, I say this because I have a client that is under audit for this right now before they came to us, a they decided they were going to deduct a, uh, funny enough, Ryan, a Tesla and they were going to deduct hundred percent of it. So unfortunately they got selected for audit and they do not have a mileage log for that period of time. So we're mm-hmm. out of it. I'll be trouble for that one. Yeah. I was totally joking. I had no idea. It also makes perfect sense that you try to skirt the rules. You try to do certain things and then get in trouble and then you reach out pro try to figure it out. So don't be that person where, uh, you're delaying till the very end to figure things out. I think this is important. One of the things, John, I wanted to kind of butt in and, and ask really quick, because we get asked quite a bit about this is, well, let's say I'll, I'll use Taylor's example. We lived in Nevada. It's maybe not the best example, but we live in Nevada. She was working some locums in California. There's obviously some travel. There's obviously multiple states where income is earned. I know Nevada doesn't have any state tax, but let's just assume that we lived in a state that did. How does those dynamics play and what should people be paying attention to if you're taking locums assignments in different states than you uh, have for primary residence? Yeah, that's a great question because I you know, I think it leads to a lot of confusion and uh, yeah, we had to put a lot of first year clients. So for this very reason. So the goal at the end of the day is that hopefully we're not paying tax on income twice, but unfortunately there's kind of a complicated system that we have to jump through some hoops to get there. So in your example, you know, if Nevada had an income tax, generally they are going to require that you report the income earned within that state to their state as a non-resident. And then when we turn around and file, you know, a resident return, let's say in California, they would generally allow us to take a state tax credit for some of the taxes that we've paid to our non-resident state. In theory, at the end of the day, we're trying not to pay tax on the income twice. Although, you know, as I'm sure I is aware, and, and some of you in the audience are, yeah, there's obviously different state tax rates, California being one of the higher ones. So unfortunately, you're going to pay probably the higher of the two states income tax, uh, regardless. I don't like hearing paying the higher of any tax. It hurts me. Yeah, unfortunately, um, that's the way it works for most states. So, and we get the added complexity of having to file two state income tax returns as well. So it does add a little bit of uh, time and uh, complication to your return filing. So just be aware of that as you get headed to tax return season. Mm-hmm. So we've covered quite a bit. Are there any other pieces that we'd like to really kind of get the message out so people, whether they work with a CPA or they don't, just are kind of aware of some of the tax implications, good and bad. I don't know of any good tax implications, but we'll roll with that. That maybe they should be aware of before we kind of sign off here. Yep. So I wanted to save that kind of the big one here till the end. So if you remember from the beginning, we we're talking about two main differences. And uh, the second one was with 1099 income, there's no tax withholding done at the source. So that means you, hey, you get to be responsible for all of the federal and state 
and FICA income taxes uh, related to that income. So sometimes that can be a surprise to people. Uh, most of the time people are aware of that, but may become blissfully unaware until they see their final tax bill on the return. But, you know, we would like our clients to be aware of that all throughout the year. And the main reason there is the IRS does expect to be paid evenly throughout the year, whether it's through withholding or in the case of you know, anybody with locum's work through estimated tax payments. So this may be something that you never had to encounter before, before you had locum's work, but the IRS does require us to you know get that money paid in throughout the year. So typically we're setting up estimated tax payments for our clients. One of the things that people are not always aware of as well with that is it's not only the income tax liability, but we're also responsible for social security and Medicare taxes as well. And as a self-employed individual, we get to be both the employer and the employee of this case as well, which sounds really bad when you get to the return because you realize it's not just the 7.6% FICA tax that you're used to having withheld from your paycheck as a W-2 employee, but it's actually double that because your employer generally kicks in the other piece of that. It's just, you don't see it when you're a W-2 employee. So you know, we will typically tell people with locums work to think about setting aside 30 to 40% of their gross income for federal and state taxes, including FICA taxes. And it's a little bit higher than, than sometimes people are thinking. So you want to run those numbers. If you're not working with a, a CPA now, be sure you run those numbers, uh, you know, grab an online calculator, just kind of estimate some of that stuff so that you're prepared and you've got some of that cash set aside at return time. I think it's a really important point to say that, you know, are the employee and the employer to pay attention to and how much you're going to be paying in and estimated tax payments are going to make you cry multiple times a year as well. Because if you're coming from the W-2 space, you've been paying in every paycheck. Your employer, payroll companies take care of that. When that goes away or if additional payments come in through locums, surprise, you're now responsible. So I think those are really important things to understand perspective. But, you know, John, I talked, you know, a little bit at the beginning about how we work together, but maybe for those that didn't hear all of last year, we did a whole month on taxes and i was actually surprised with the amount of people that listened because i thought john this is probably going to put people to sleep but you know what it's really important info that can save your financial bucks so why don't you tell them just a little bit about physician tax advisors and where we're at with that and then we'll sign off sure sure we are working with uh, you know hundreds of physicians right now across the united states we work virtually so we do work with clients and go all across the country i think we're currently working with folks in about 45 different states so you're know, certainly able to help out wherever you may be today listening to this and we're helping out all types of physicians from the w2 to people who are working locums uh, to people that are partners uh, you know with a physician group or have their own small businesses as well so Always happy to help out anyone along these lines. We're getting a little bit close to the end of the season, so we're not currently accepting clients for planning for this. But we still do have slots open to help people with their 2021 tax returns here uh, coming up here in spring. So if you do need some assistance, please feel free to reach out to us on the website. Yep, that's physiciontaxadvisors.com. And a uh, big distinction there, I think, uh, before we, we exit here, is the, the concept of tax planning versus tax preparation. So John says they're, you know, closing to tax plan. And most of you are like, what do they mean by that? Because most CPAs are reactive, right? They say, give me all your stuff in February. I'll put together your return. I'll prepare it. And I'll just tell you where to write your check because you probably owe some money because there was no planning involved. Whereas, you know, as obviously you guys know that Casey and I are planners and John has a fantastic team that's helping with some tax planning to help save potential money throughout the year by actually thinking ahead. 
saying, huh, I don't want to pay all this in tax. How do I potentially lower legally lower? I will add my tax bill. So can't really plan much when there's not much time left in the year to do that. So if you haven't been doing that, you need to start planning, just like we've talked about building a financial plan and setting an emotion and being able to check in. You need a tax plan as well. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, talking more about tax, but love the team, John and uh, Kelly and Kim and the, the whole team over there have been doing Taylor and, and my return for like seven years now. So I obviously love what they do. Keith and Aaron partners with, with the practice and each fan. So John, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate some time and yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Right. All right, everyone. Well, hopefully this was helpful. We know that to talk in finance, especially tax, no offense to John, is not that much fun, but we know that it is extremely important to your financial health and that you pay attention to this. And because we don't want to pay Uncle Sam any more than we actually have to. They want more, but we don't want to pay more unless we have to do that. So hopefully you guys have been doing your tax plan. If you need someone for tax prep, like we mentioned, reach out to physician tax advisors. And thank you so much to Locum Story for sponsoring today's show. So check out locumstory.com for the unbiased answers that you're probably after when looking at locum tenants. Maybe that is your next chapter. We're out. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.